Next on Abounding Grace, think for a bit about your God story and then be encouraged to share it. Your testimony is powerful. And maybe you don't have that radical one and maybe you don't have that nice, peaceful, calm one. You're somewhere in the middle. But listen, friend, we all have a testimony. We all have a God story. And I'm here to remind you, tell someone your story. Tell someone your story. Let God be magnified in your life. Your personal story is a powerful tool in sharing Jesus with someone. It's a powerful tool of taking the spiritual and making it very practical. How? Because it's lived out in your life. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Welcome to the broadcast. Don't you love a good testimony of what God can do in a human life? The Lord specializes in turning a sinner into a saint for His glory. He's done it time and time again, and perhaps for you too. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll hear a beautiful testimony of a man who was blind from birth and then given sight. Here's Pastor Ed in John chapter 9. We opened up the chapter last time by looking at this man that was born blind. He was born blind, blind from birth. He comes into an encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus performs a tremendous miracle on him. And you remember how he did that? It was pretty dramatic. Do you guys remember how he did that? He spit, just like you and I spit. He spit into the ground. He stirred up the saliva with the dirt there and made some clay. He took the clay, he put it on his eyes and told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He didn't tell him he was going to get healed. He didn't give him any direction other than this very simple instruction to go and wash. And yet the man believed and he obeyed. And we don't know exactly when it happened, but at the Pool of Siloam, his sight was restored. That's a remarkable thing. This, this is a tremendous day in this young man's life. This is, a, this is something that is so dramatic and so wonderful that only God can get the glory, but he's faced with the spiritual leaders of the day. We know them as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the legalists, the law, the, those that were into the law, and they face him, and they're not so excited for him. Because we'll see as John continues to, to lay before us the scenario, we see that Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath, and that greatly upset the Pharisees. And instead of being excited for this young man, I mean, imagine, this guy was blind from birth. Everybody knew him. He had his place of begging. He can now see, but the Pharisees standing in front of him couldn't be more blinded. And that's the contrast that we are going to receive in this chapter, the contrast of a man who not only was able to see physically, but also spiritually contrasted with the spiritual leaders of the day, blinded by their own tradition, blinded by their own false and fake rules and regulations. But one of the things that's exciting about this chapter is that we learn a testimony that many of you have learned over the years by learning a hymn. Jump over to verse 25 real quick here in John chapter 9. 
This is where that phrase from the hymn comes from, where he has these, all these interviews of people wanting to talk to him and want to know what's going on, and his answer is simply, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And he means it not just physically, but in a moment he'll also be able to say it spiritually as he comes to full faith in his Savior, Jesus Christ. But this is where it comes from, John chapter 9. And it's not only reference for him physically, but in a moment it'll be spiritually. But for us, we can say that spiritually. This is our testimony. That there was a time when we just didn't see things the way God sees them. We just didn't live our life the way God wanted us to live our life. And now we were blind, and now we see. It's very encouraging. Very wonderful. Now, I know that those listening in, many of you guys listening in right now, maybe out on the radio or on television, on your little internet screen, are a little apprehensive about sharing Jesus with others, a little fearful. It concerns you. It's easier to talk about football. It's easier to talk about fun things. It's easier to talk about grandkids. It's easier to talk about the garden. But Jesus, Jesus, do we, do we, do we interject his name and our relationship with him into conversations? I think some listening would say, not that much, Ed. I'm a little fearful of it. It seems a little awkward to talk about faith or church or Jesus at work. And, and I would say, for the most part, that is a normal, natural response. It's normal to be a little uncomfortable to talk, because of the culturally, it's kind of pressed in upon us that there are off-limits topics. And one of those topics that's off-limits, unfortunately, are those things that pertain to God. And it's normal and natural, but we have to ask ourselves, what kind of life do you really want? Do you want just the normal life? Do you want just the natural life where you walk around kind of intimidated and fearful and, and Jesus is, is your life, but you're unwilling to talk about that part of your life when he actually, he is all of your life and there you are just, yeah, you know, kind of it's normal and it's natural. That, that's not the kind of life I want personally for me. I don't want that. I don't want a normal life or a natural life. I want a radical supernatural life. I want to be involved in things that can't be explained humanly. I want to see God move in my midst. I want to be a part of what God's doing in other people's lives. And the only way that I can do that is to interject my Savior, my life, into their life. I have to see that God has connected me with other people for the sole purpose of them sharing my life. And it's impossible for someone to share my life without learning about my life is all Jesus. My whole life I owe to him. There isn't anything in my life that hasn't come from him. There isn't any one benefit. Everything that I am, and, and, and by the way, as I'm describing my life, it also describes yours. Yours is no different, those of you that follow Jesus. Jesus is your life. And we all have the same testimony. To one degree or another, we all share the same testimony or our life story, or some might even refer to it as God's story. Everyone has a God story in their life. Everyone has a story of what God has done, what God is doing, and even anticipating what God will do, what we want to see him do. But of course, our life experiences are different, aren't they? Some of you have a testimony when you look back, you look back at your life and you start to share your life story. It, it starts out really bad, like really hardcore bad and, and just really difficult. You, you were involved in things that you are ashamed of. Uh, you were doing things and saying things and hanging out in places that when you look back, you just shake your head and you go, what was I doing there? What was I? Well, I know what you were doing there. And what I, same thing I was doing there. I was doing my own thing, my own way, with no consciousness of God. And God said, you want to live your life, Ed? Go ahead and live your life however you want. And when you come to the end of yourself, I'll be there. I'll be there for you. Some of you have just that, that really difficult testimony. Others of you, not so much. 
You were raised in a godly home. Your parents were believers. Your grandparents were believers. And, and you were raised in a relatively calm, peaceful, wonderful environment. And you might even look at that and go, well, you know, that's not much of a testimony. No, you'd be mistaken. That's a huge testimony to be able to live through life in a godly home and face all the types of temptations you face and avoid all the nonsense. We're so glad that you avoided all the nonsense. And if today you don't think, because you grew up in a Christian home, you know, you kind of think, well, you know, I don't have a testimony. I need to go get one. Don't. Don't. Learn from our example. Don't do it. It's painful. The wages of sin today is still death. And your testimony is powerful. And maybe you don't have that radical one, and maybe you don't have that nice, peaceful, calm one. You're somewhere in the middle. But listen, friend, we all have a testimony. We all have a God story. And I'm here to remind you, tell someone your story. Tell someone your story. Let God be magnified in your life. Your personal story is a powerful tool in sharing Jesus with someone. It's a powerful tool of taking the spiritual and making it very practical. How? Because it's lived out in your life. You can say, it's not just what the Bible says, although that's enough. If it was just the Bible, it was all we had, and we weren't surrounded by wonderful testimonies, it's enough. Why? Because this book is living and powerful. It's the very Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the very Word of God. And in God's Word, we have testimony after testimony after testimony. However, yours reminds us that God is not done. He is still at work in our lives. Share your story. You can help through your story, through your life's experiences. You can help take someone to the cross where they find out how devastating sin is, where they find out the wages of sin is death, where they find out that someone is willing to die for their sins and rise again the third day and extend the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus Christ. You've got to tell your story. Share it with someone. That's what the rest of chapter 9 is, as we pick up in verse 8, is this guy sharing his story over and over again. It says in verse 8 of John chapter 9, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. And he said, I am he. I mean, they're just, they're, they're overwhelmed with the reality. Is this the guy? This guy he could see. Is this the guy? Yeah, I think he is. No, I'm not sure if he is. And he finally goes, Yes, I'm the guy. Yes, I'm the one born blind. Yes, I'm the one you passed by. All. Yes, I'm the one you gave to. Yes, yes, it's me. God changed my life. I can see. He'll say in a moment, I was blind, but now I can see. He says, verse 10, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. That, my friend, is really what a testimony looks like in summary. I heard, I went, then I could see. You know, hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, and God doing the work through the process. I think all of you, all of us should have a testimony prepared. You, you should have your testimony prepared in order to share it. And it should be, you should be able to share your testimony within about five minutes. Like, we don't want to hear your 20-year story. We don't want you to take 20 years to tell us your story. You should narrow it down, and some would refer to that, you know, you should be able to tell your testimony in a short elevator ride. 
just really quick. Now, if you're taking notes, let me help you. If you've never put a testimony together, you don't even know how to do it, let me give you some quick idea. Let me give you a template on how to put your testimony together. Take an eight, you know, you don't have it now, but take, when you get home, take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, a regular piece of paper, and on it, just draw three boxes of the same size. One on top, one in the middle, and one on the bottom. And that's going to be the limitation of what you're going to share. So like if you want to share a lot, if it doesn't fit in the box, don't share it. This is the beginning stages. You may find that you can extend that time of sharing, but if you only got five minutes, this is what you're going to share. So at the top, on the first box, the first box contains your past. Your past. Where did you come from? What's the story of your past? What were you into? How were you raised? What was your life like apart from Jesus Christ? What is your past? And you want to, to highlight the difficulty of your past. You want to highlight the sin of your past. You, you want to, to, to really paint the picture of how far you were before the second box. The second box? Well, in that second box, you'll put, how did you come to know Jesus? How were you introduced to him personally? You know, for me, I've got my past and all kinds of crazy stuff that I've shared with you before. In that middle box, it was a real down season in my life. I was facing some more criminal charges in my life, and, and I was just looking at my wife. She's ready to leave me. My life is a mess, which had been many, many times before, but it was in that period of time that my buddy Jack called me and said, you need to go to church. And I said, you need to leave me alone. But I still went to church. Like it was that, I got an invitation to a church just like this where a pastor from a pulpit just like this said, Jesus loves you, and I couldn't, I didn't, what do you, me? Do you understand where my life is? And, and not only does he love me, but he demonstrated that love for me by dying on the cross. It wasn't a message that I hadn't heard before, I had. But God had arranged it in such a way that the timing was perfect, and that was the day that I would be born again. And there's a whole story around that. You put it in the middle box. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? For some of you, that middle box will just be, my dad was doing devotions one morning with, with the family, and while my dad was doing devotions, I asked him, hey, can I, how, do I, how, how do I get saved? And my dad led me to the Lord in our front room. That's powerful stuff. That, that will minister, and God will use that in your life. Then the final box on the bottom in developing your testimony, you go from your past to how you encounter Jesus. Then the final box is what is God doing now? And that's always going to change, isn't it? What's God doing now? What kind of person are you? There should be a great contrast between the top box and the bottom box. And the difference is in the middle, Jesus. And so in very simple terms, if you want to remember this, top box, past, middle box, Jesus, bottom box, now. That's your testimony. And you can put that together very easily, very quickly, preparing to share. So what this guy's sharing is just what his life is. And they are very concerned, as you'll notice, about what happened. They come to the place in verse 13 now that he shared what happened. Now they are bringing him to the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the day. Verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. This is very significant because if Jesus would have just spoken the healing to them and just said a word, the Pharisees wouldn't have been so upset. But because he spit and he bent down and he made clay, that was, in their view, a technicality of breaking their own man-made traditions as they relate to the Sabbath. We know for a fact that Jesus never broke the Sabbath in God's eyes. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that Jesus is and was and forever will be sinless. So the issue here is not with God, but with man-made religious traditions. By making clay... 
they made Jesus guilty on the Sabbath as they had made even the simplest acts of work or simplest actions work. Here are some things that were forbidden according to religious tradition on the Sabbath, and I quote, A man may not fill a dish with oil and put it beside a lamp and put the end of a wick in it, or he'll be guilty of breaking the Sabbath. If a man extinguishes a lamp on the Sabbath to spare the lamp or the oil or the wick, he is guilty. A man may not go out on the Sabbath with sandals that are made with nails. Why? Well, the weight of the nails would have constituted carrying a burden on their feet. I mean, just ridiculous, ridiculous things. A man cannot cut his fingernails on the Sabbath. That would have been work. A man would be unable to pull a hair out of his head or a hair out of his beard. That would be considered work. It was also in their religious traditions forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. So I suspect if he would have spoken a word, they probably would have gone on him, on him that, for that as well. But this one, they're really upset that he made the clay. But in their mind, it was forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. Medical attention could be given only if a life was in actual danger. And even then, it must only be such as to keep the patient from getting worse, not to make him any better until after the Sabbath. For instance, a man with a toothache was not allowed to suck vinegar through his teeth. He would have broken the Sabbath. It was forbidden on the Sabbath, according to religious tradition, to set a broken limb. They would let a guy sit there in pain with a broken arm until after the Sabbath, is how much they elevated their man's traditions over the truth. If a man's hand or foot was dislocated, he couldn't even pour cold water over it to take away the swelling. And this clearly, this man that was born blind was in no danger of his life, so they viewed Jesus breaking the Sabbath many times over. Listen. We're going to get into this just a little bit more later on in the study, but for now, let me just share it with you to plant a seed in your heart. Traditions are very hard to break, and spiritual traditions are even harder to break. But Jesus Christ has come and is ready to break through even your spiritual traditions that don't line up with the Word of God. It is not God's heart for you to hold spiritual traditions that are not lining up with the Scriptures. Like some people hold on, and I know people are listening in right now uh, that, that are in this place where you're holding on to your church tradition, you're holding on to perhaps the way that you were taught so tightly that you won't let the Word of God speak to you. You're seeing the Word of God through the lens of tradition when you and I, we need to learn to set our traditions aside and allow the Word of God just to speak to us to our, today, to our culture. And lest we point the finger at anyone else, let's not do that. Because as a gathering of fellowship, as a church family, we too can be bound by tradition. Any follower of Jesus Christ can be bound by tradition. When you do something long enough, if you're not careful, you'll begin to worship what you do instead of worshiping the one that you worship. And so here at Calvary, we're not immune to developing something or having something where, you know, hey, can we do this? No, we can't do that. Why? Well, because we've never done that. Well, why, why can't we do it now? I don't know. I guess we just can't. I guess there's some kind of rule. We shouldn't. Isn't there a plaque? Didn't somebody give a lot of money, put a plaque up there and said, you may never do this ever again? I mean, it's just the weirdness, the weirdness that we can get into that, hey, listen, we need to be open to a fresh moving and leading of the Holy Spirit that's tethered by God's Word and not man's tradition. Because really, what Jesus and this man is facing, what, what, what is really the best day in this guy's life? We, we tried last time we were together to put ourselves in his sandals 
to think of, man, being born blind my whole life, now I can see. Wouldn't you say that's probably the best day of his life? I would say that's the best day of his life. In such a quick instant, now becomes this big hassle. And big, what are you, like, what, why are you guys dogging me on this? Like, I've been blind my whole life. What's your problem? And you'll see he gets a little frustrated a little later. Um, but notice, uh, it was the Sabbath, verse 14, when Jesus made the clay. John just wants us to make sure we see that. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he'd receive his sight. And he said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such great signs? And once again, there is a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. They just, this isn't one of those things where, you know, when you meet people that don't believe and they just need a little more information. That's not what we're dealing with here. They have all the information they could possibly have, but you know what we're dealing with here? They refuse to believe. Have you ever met anyone that just refuses to believe? You could give, they could meet Jesus Christ like in person with the nail prints in his hands and they still wouldn't believe. Why? Because they refuse they refuse. We don't know the motives. We just know they didn't believe concerning him. But they have well enough evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. You know, the greatest proof of Christianity, the greatest evidence for the truthfulness of Jesus Christ is that we were once blind and now we see. <laughs> the radical transformation of a life is the miraculous work of God. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of John's Gospel right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. Pastor Ed is back with me now, and Ed, for some reason, it seems like some of the hardest people to share our story with is those who we're closest to, like our unsaved family. Would you talk about that for a minute and how the Lord can give us boldness and courage to share in those situations? You know, Larry, even Jesus' own family didn't believe in him during most of his ministry. It was after his death and resurrection that finally it all clicked. And I think of uh, probably the most famous one was James, his half-brother, uh, and look what God had, has done in James, through James, even to our lives today. So what about our own families now? I mean, I know when I was a new believer, most of my family thought I got caught up in a cult. Uh, they didn't believe that I was born again. And uh, it took time for them to see the genuine work of Jesus in my life. And I think that's the key, that we would learn to be patient with our family and friends Remember that even our own Lord didn't have the support of his family throughout his ministry. And remember that Paul would remind us, and it's good to be, it's good to be in this place where we remember that some people plant and some people water, but it's God that gives the increase. So keep planting and watering, keep loving and caring, uh, keep buying those gifts of a book blesses you, give it to your dad, give it to your brother your sister. If there's a Bible study, talk about it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of techniques and tactics, you know, ways to do this, but be 
the family member that you are and walk in love, um, I know that love will break down so many barriers and it's just consistency, patience, and the truth of God's word. And I know that you're making a difference even if you don't see the crop. Hey, thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. See if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it, surrendered it to God, and yet you still can't seem to break free. It's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in. Well, today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. In it, you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change. Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that will do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.